Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Milk Duds Podcast. Now what? Welcome to Week 4 of the Milk Duds Podcast, the Father's Day edition. Uh, major shout out to all the fathers on the panel. Happy Father's Day to Jamal, to Brother Dez, Brother Joshua. Um, not only is Joshua a father, he actually just gave birth to a new. His uh, wife gave birth. Yeah, I was going to say, man, I definitely appreciate that, but I don't want to. He, he after out. everything she been through, I don't think she would appreciate me taking too much credit. At all, sir. So, so salute to your wife for giving birth. Shout out, Brittany. Brittany um, McCoy is the realist. And the last uh, uh, acknowledgement we want to make uh, for this edition is someone recently had a birthday, so we definitely want to salute you on your birthday. Unfortunately, with uh, COVID-19, we weren't able to get together and, and have um, some libations. However, uh, we'll take a rain check for that. So big birthday shout out to Brother Jamal. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate you, brothers. Bro. I appreciate you, brothers. You get I'm getting better. You doing anything special better. Uh, for your birthday? Uh, what did I do? I helped my wife um, redo, re, uh, basically remodel our our subdivision entrance. Okay. So that's what I did. Yeah, but we're at the head, head out of town, a little beach trip, just the two of us next week. So I got you some, I got you some grilling sandals, dog. Ah, never. How was your Father's Day, uh, Des? Uh, my Father's Day was good, man. This I mean, your I first did Father's some... Day, right? Yeah, it was my first official Father's Day. So, um, how did that feel? It was cool. Like it was, tip. It was really, I honestly, it was just like another day. To be honest, like not to sound overly cliche-ish, but I mean, I woke up, uh, got congratulations from people all on my phone, texting and calling me. And uh, I just got up and did some yard work first thing because I wanted to get it out the way and uh, knocked that out. And um, I went to Waffle House for breakfast, even though my girl wanted to make me breakfast. But I was like, don't worry about that. You've been up with the baby all night. You don't worry about that. I'll grab something to eat. Came back to the crib, chilled for a minute. And then we had Father's Day dinner that she just prepared. And uh, my mother-in-law and uh, one of her friends came over. We all just hung out and ate and chilled. So it was cool. It was a really low-key Father's Day, bro. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, what about you, Joshua? My bad, man. I'm. <clears throat> I was trying to scarf down this uh, ice cream. So just give me a second <laughs> and um, go. Thought it was a cup of noodles. Man, I needed I needed to have something of more sustenance, <laughs> but uh, this ice cream was just looking too good. And it's good Ben and Jerry's that, uh, that, that ben social and justice ice cream. Uh, <laughs> is that the defund the police ice cream? Defund the police, dude. Hey, talking about Ben and Jerry's with it, man. That's what I'm talking about. I look forward to my Kroger, unable to find it yet. Oh well, they they they're strategic about where they put it now. They're not gonna have it in somewhere that people actually want to defund the police. Oh, uh, for Father's Day, I actually was patiently awaiting the birth of my new son, who just arrived a couple of days ago on Tuesday. And I tell you, man, it, it was uh, it, it was a pretty special day. Uh, my 
I guess now I can say my oldest son, my five-year-old, he was with uh, one of his grandmothers and uh, we kind of just chilled around the house. I did a little bit of reading, uh, you know, had the usual, but I think the thing that really, I guess, struck me the most was when my wife gave me my Father's Day gift. Okay. It was a dash cam. Oh. And that, that shit just really put it in perspective, you know, that out of love, she gave me a dash cam and then she gave me one because I have a convertible. And so she gave me one that was uh, supposedly well suited uh, for that type of vehicle where you can see from uh, the front and the back. And it just made me think about, man, first of all, we're all blessed to be here. We're blessed to have children that, you know, hopefully we'll be here for, but what if, what if I actually need that? Or what if she needs that? And with everything going around, I think it was just kind of, uh, it was a thoughtful gift and a sobering gift. Yeah. I, I actually got a dash cam as well uh, for Father's Day. This is gift giving as far as my kids are concerned was probably the best um, Father's Day that I've had so far. So shout out to my children. Brother Jamal, you get anything special or anything you want to speak of uh, about your Father's Day? Uh, not really. I got an early Father's Day gift, man. My wife got me, uh, that will let me get uh, two new 70-inch uh, 4K LED TVs like two weeks ago. I'm sorry, say so, that again? You opened in the sports wife, bar, that's all. <laughs> I said my wife let me get uh, two 70-inch 4K LED TVs. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. That was like two weeks ago. So that, was, that was basically my Father's Day and birthday gift. Insert Jim Jones. Uh, what, what, oh, kind of money what kind of money y'all making over there in the Greer household? Hey, man. I actually find out somebody a, trapping. No, I found a steal. I wish I was. Uh, I found a steal. <laughs> <laughs> I found a steal at uh, Target. I, I, I'm almost positive that they misprinted the uh, yeah, It was a steal ticket. off the back of that truck. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you met Junebug off the back of that truck. Yeah. <laughs> Nakers been looting. <laughs> right. But no, nah, we spent we spent uh Father's Day, my wife and I uh we just got a, a new deck put on the back of our house. We spent Father's Day staining that bad boy. That's dope. Um That's dope. yeah, I use a, a, a paint, you know, tried to do it the manual way of paint roller uh rollers and uh paint brushes. And after about an hour, we went about six feet. And I said, uh, I'm gonna head back over to Home Depot, see if I can rent me a a, a sprayer. So we got a sprayer for the first time. Stay in my deck. Uh, needed about 24 hours to uh, dry, and it wasn't supposed to rain. This is Sunday, so it's not supposed to rain until <laughs> Monday evening. And then all of a sudden, I finished spraying around 4:30 on Sunday. It started raining like five o'clock, pouring. But uh, yeah, overall, great Father's Day. My kids made me two really cool cards. Um, yeah, so it was dope. As we move into our topic this week, it seems like voting. There's a heavy initiative on voting and registering people to vote as if that's the only thing that we can actually do to affect change. And I feel like, you know, we've been doing that for a long time um, and voting isn't it. It doesn't stop at voting. So I wanted to actually discuss things that we can actually do that's going to impact and affect change. Yeah, I, I, in my opinion, when it comes to voting and politics, man, unless we are um, developing, nurturing, coaching, mentoring our own candidates that we're going to then get behind and vote into office. Um, we'll we'll keep running. Brother out here sounding like Killer Mike. 
<laughs> no, seriously, man. Like, that's what people have in power have been doing for years, dude. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad flew to Lake Geneva for this conference he said he was going to. Uh, he was invited to go to a conference. Um, and I remember him going. And then years later, I was in high school. He was describing, actually in college, uh, he was describing to me that conference he went to. Um, and he said he thought it was just a conference for, you know, young um, professionals and folks who were active in their communities. And uh, my dad was somewhat of an activist. Um, and he, when he got there, it was basically a political, um, what would you call it, kind of boot camp. You know, almost like, a, yeah, but it, it was like, okay, there was a bunch of people there and my dad is extremely conservative. So he was definitely a hot commodity as a brother who is a conservative. Um, and he said, I remember him telling me the reason this came up was he said when he was there, it was maybe about four or five black guys there. Um, and everybody was like, hey, I need you to meet this other guy here. He's really dynamic from Chicago. Uh, his name is Barry. Mm. And I was like, Barry, who the Bar- heck is Barry? Barry, Barry Obama. Barry wow. Obama. It was Barack Obama. So my dad, wow. Barack Obama, and a couple other young activists at the time and guys who were involved in like local politics were all brought out. Um, and uh, it ended up being sort of socialist, uh, kind of like a socialist flair to it. So my dad, you know, bowed out. But that, <laughs> that's when he found out back then that like these candidates are being bred Mind you, this yes. is before Obama ran for anything. Mm-hmm. Right. This is, dude. I I, I want to say I was in middle school, dog. When they when I they, mean, what, they, what do you think Lead Atlanta tapped. is? Exactly. Very, very great point. Great point. And so I think that's what we have to do. If we're gonna vote, which we, which we all need to vote, we need to be putting our own candidates in there who we know have our best interests at heart and who are supportive of our Go agendas. Ahead. Um, that we want to be put into action. You know, and, and on top of that, Jamal, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I definitely think that we need to be building a bench. And I know we're going to get to some of the candidates that won in, in the primary in New York uh, and, and other places around the country. But I think it's important for us to also discuss that when we have less than ideal options, or just with any of our options, we need to make sure we push and we pressure these folks and make sure that they listen to us. And I think that's the one thing that I would say stands out the most to me, uh, the difference between not just Barack Obama and Donald Trump, but Barack Obama and also Joe Biden, is that even if Barack Obama disagreed with folks, he routinely invited them in to say whatever they had to say and to present their argument. And I just wanted to share something, uh, Angela Davis, she was on Democracy Now! uh, recently, and in her interview, I wanted to share this quote. And so she started by saying that, I'm not actually going to support either of the major candidates, but I do think we have to participate in the election. I mean, that isn't to say that I won't vote for the Democratic candidate. And I believe that she makes it clear in the interview that she will vote for Joe Biden. She went on to say, the electoral arena is not the best place for the expression of radical politics. But if we want to continue this work, we certainly need a person in office who will be more amenable to our mass pressure. 
And to me, that is the only thing that someone like a Joe Biden represents. But we have to persuade people to go out and vote to guarantee that the current occupant of the White House is forever ousted. And so uh, I know that we all have views that are, uh, you know, uh, some would say progressive. Some might even say that some of our views are radical. I don't really care. One thing I know, there's nobody that's talking right now um, in our current atmosphere, in our current environment, that's more radical than Angela Davis. I mean, seriously. And, you know, for her to be able to contextualize it in that way, I think it represents a few things. One, uh, she obviously sees and understands the limits to what a far left progressive push will have without electoral power that will lend its ear. And then I think she also highlights the second part of that, which is we are not without responsibility. And so whether you voted or not, or whether you plan to vote or not, if you want anything to change, you still have to organize and you still have to mobilize and you still have to put pressure on your politicians. I was listening to an interview with ta Coates on the Ezra Klein show, and he said voting is like taking out the trash. And I thought it was interesting because I think he said it with the intention of sharing basically it's a short it's a chore and you just do whatever you're supposed to do that's just one of those things that you just should do as an adult and don't let the trash pile up but when i thought about it i said man that's a that's a hell of a metaphor because it is uh excuse me an analogy because it is like taking out the trash and we should view it as hey look we're going to put pressure on these candidates and if they don't give the people what they want then we're going to take out the trash and take their ass up out of here and so I, that's that's what I've been trying to share with people I know that maybe don't regularly vote. Uh, maybe they don't see an ideal candidate in Joe Biden. And I'm just, you know, pretty straightforward. I, I don't either. But we're black. When have we ever had ideal scenario and ideal situation uh, to actually say this is the guy I really want in office? And, um, you know, I, I think that we just really have to focus on what our job is and what their job is and how that intersects. Uh, great point there, Josh. Um, it's crazy because I think that if we were to survey 100 people, 1,000 people and ask them, would they rather spend $30 million on police technology upgrades or should we put $30,000 into our local schools, whether it be computer systems or programs, I would think the majority of the people would say that they would rather the money go towards the schools uh, rather than the government. Would you agree with that? 100%, because if you put that money into the schools, you might not need the riot gear. Exactly. Well, you don't need the riot gear anyway. Exactly, so, so, the, so it's like when, when Jay said that, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're almost radical or progressive. I, 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 it's like, how, how did that become such a radical idea? You know, I, that, that's a really great point. I believe that it's radical because it represents a shift in the status quo and it's unsettling to folks that their way of life is dependent on things staying the same. And they try to scare people with fear tactics because things will be different from, for them. And so they push all these different buttons. And we've seen over the last, especially over the last month, all the different buttons. And I'm not just talking about Republicans. I mean, they always say some wild shit. Donald Trump always says some wild shit. But I mean, you, you got Jim Clyburn 
you know, basically trying to commandeer a movement saying, no, we're not defunding the police. Don't let people do this sloganeering and all this jazz. It's like, Jim Clyburn, be quiet. You know, you talk to Joe Biden and he's like, no, I'm not for that. Actually, I want to give $300 million more to the police. It's like, no, chill out. I think this goes back to the responsibility thing. It is as simple as you put it. Corey, $30 million to give the police riot gear or $30 million to school. It's that simple. If people, if we take our responsibility as citizens that seriously and we look and say, where is the money going? And I think that's a part of it that some people are actually starting to think through and understand that stuff just doesn't happen, that people press buttons. And there's a whole lot that transpires. Like you said, Jamal, we wouldn't need riot gear if we took care of the main thing, which is let's build up an educated citizen. And see, the thing is this, right? I think I, I'm on 100% agreement with Josh, with Joshua, that when people actually start to see that breakdown by that financial breakdown of a city budget, like everybody, you know, we, we all, I know we all put the graphic in there uh, when Atlanta was voting for their general fund budget and it showed how much money was going to police versus other um, departments within the city. And no matter who I show that graphic to, they're all like, yo, that's crazy. Exactly. You know what I mean? And like without the defund police movement, nobody would ever have even looked. 90% of people in the, in the city of Atlanta would never have looked at those numbers anyway. 90% of people would not have cared who voted to increase police. Correct. Money until you break down and show them the actual numbers of how much of that budget is going towards the mm -hmm. police department. And so once people are educated, like we said, like we said, Joshua, the more educated the people are, the, le the more they can affect change before it needs to become a rioting situation. And I think that's the sad part about it and part of our society is the issue at hand that people are advocating for aren't even out of reach. We don't, it's not like we, we lack the resources to effectively educate our students. We lack the will to do that. It, mm. it costs more money to incarcerate somebody in the state of California for one year than it costs to put that same person through Harvard for a year. And that stat alone should have everybody in the streets rioting. <laughs> and yet we don't. And the reason why we don't is because we live in a stratified society Society that keeps the masses placated based on a, a varying scale of different privileges. And because most people have enough privilege where they're comfortable, they are not willing to topple this entire thing. Most of us are willing to accept inequality because it's not happening to us. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. That's right. You know, that, that is a huge point, Des. I, I totally agree. I think the only reason that we are having such an uproar at this point uh, is not necessarily because people are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I've gone to Black Lives Matter website and I'm down with all their, you know, all the points in the, in the planks in the platform. It's that we're living throughout, through an epidemic that has taken the lives of over 100,000 Americans. Donald Trump is the president. And he's been, I mean, we, we can roll out a list, but I don't think that's necessary at this point. Uh, and folks are like, okay, well, how do we fight against that? 
And I think that's kind of, you know, some of the point is that when, when you start going down this rabbit hole and you start saying, oh, wow, the inequality that black folks and indigenous folks and all these other and um, queer folks, queer folks, all the other vulnerable populations have been experiencing. Right. Then it's like, OK, now we know what it looks like when the empire turns on us. Exactly. And I think that, you know, what you see is, uh, you know, Sean King saying, tear down white Jesus. And folks are like, oh, no, we shouldn't do that. Um, I think <laughs> we're starting to see where folks are really having to decide, like, OK, how far do I want to go with this? <laughs> and the crazy thing <laughs> is, like, if, like not the, having an issue with that is saying that you don't want to read the Bible anyway. Mm. Right. You know what I mean? Because the, the, Jesus is described as uh, woolly, wool, hair like wool and skin and like bronze. Like that is not a blonde haired, blue eyed. So how, what do you, was his mama, the Virgin Mary, was she a blonde haired, blue eyed mother? No. Like you, you just don't even want to acknowledge the fact that you've created this own, your own lie within your own Christianity. Yeah. And, and right. that honestly is uh, where I think uh, the white people that's holding on and there's some black people too, honestly, unfortunately. Um, it's like they they don't want to undo the lie, but we, we, we're we grown now, right? As a child, I thought as a child, but when I was a man, I put away childish things. And at some point you have to say, you know, this is what the word says, right? This is what it says. Nah, so it's bro. impossible. So I was looking at some of the uh, comments, which was hysterical to me. Um, so if you want to go and get a good laugh, I think one person said that uh, it was something to the effect that it was in the eye of the beholder. So he doesn't have a color. He doesn't have a look. It's how you want him to look. And I'm like, who Jesus? Yeah, right. Like, That's not <laughs> right. You don't you don't go and hide in Egypt if it's not the, the beholder, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have hair like wool and skin like bronze. It was the eye of the beholder. Now, if you want to talk about God, okay, let, let's let's debate that. But there is no debating what Jesus looked like. In right. any version of the Bible. Correct. You know, another thing is, if you really are that Christian, right? Now, obviously, uh, in, in modern times, we've had this uh, <laughs> interesting far-right push to have the Ten Commandments everywhere, including courthouse. Mm. Well, hmm, let's look at the Ten Commandments. I promise you that in one of the commandments... You're not, supposed you're, to going, make, <laughs> you're not supposed to make a carbon image. Like, no like what's going images. on? Like, what is going on here? You know, there, there is no, the, the whole point of the second commandment was that there is no form by which you can say this represents God. And so, right. in my opinion, you saying, hey, look, let's keep up the images. Like, this is supposedly what separates uh, a monotheistic, uh, Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic from other religions. And, you know, with, with there being one God and this one God being omnipotent and omniscient, omnipresent, so on and so forth, and that is active in the lives of men, that's what is supposed to be the opposite of having pictures of white Jesus saying what up to his homies all around the world. Exactly. And you, you actually cannot, and as a Christian myself, you cannot abide by 
Christian rules, morals, standards, and have hate. Like it literally is the opposite of what it all is supposed to stand for. And that's why the system is broken. Throw the whole religion away. Because there's a difference between religion and relationship. And that's what a lot of people are failing to realize. Like, because to me, I think people have created their own religion within Christianity. Definitely. That has, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Yes. And they, I mean, they make their own allowances to appease, you know, and they, and they make their, their own, own selfish desires. You know, we pick and choose what we want and what we don't want to accept. Now, to bring it back to what we're initially speaking of is affecting change. Um, What does that look like? I feel like awareness and understanding, um, they're increasing. However, how do we get from knowing to doing? Uh, Well, mostly in in New York, uh, we had Jamal Bowman, Mondier Jones. Uh, It looks like they're going to win their primaries and landslides. Cameron Webb. Uh, in Virginia. Looks like he's going to win in a landslide. Uh, and then we have Charles Booker, uh, who is kind of kind of tied up with Amy McGrath. And we won't probably know the results for another couple of days because they're still counting all the different mail-in ballots and, you know, provisionals and all this other stuff just because the race is so close. But one of the things that I see that I love that a lot of folks are saying that it's, they're calling it the AOC route, um, but we've seen it before and we're really seeing a major concentration of this, is primary these right-wing motherfuckers in blue. <laughs> like, I'm tired of these blue donkeys that get up in their uh, kente cloth stoles, right, and say these things. We're going to make reform, right? And when you see the reform, one of the big things that they said is we're going to put a nationwide ban on chokeholds and literally everybody it sounded like in unison said but yes a ban on chokeholds did not save eric garner (laughs) you know it's like we're, we're no fools right and then at the same time each and every one of them are supporting increasing quote unquote training and all this other stuff for police and it's just people are are in a situation and in a position where they're just not having it. So you have somebody like uh, Elliot Engel and uh, let's see, he basically is somebody that's interesting because he was a quote unquote co-sponsor of the uh, Medicare for for all bill. Uh, he was a supposed a supporter for Medicare for all, supposedly a co-sponsor of the new green deal. Uh, however, He's also a big war hawk. He's also someone that supports apartheid in the Middle East, as far as Israel, in the Gaza Strip. And so when people are coming out and they're saying, hey, look, this guy in the middle of a pandemic hasn't even been home to his district. And so you got somebody like Jamal Bowman, who's a middle school principal. And he beat the brakes off this dude. In his, in, and so I think when you're talking about action, I think we need to start looking at why is John Lewis still District 5 representative? Talk on Somebody it. Somebody tell me. Uh, you know what? So I'm not against police getting additional training. They need additional resources, whether it's um, in the uh, mental health uh, realm, uh, whether it's uh, being able to uh, relate. And see, I think the problem with policing is 
when they're in their neighborhoods or they see their people that look like them, they can relate. So they're, they're willing to give Johnny a break. I seen a video this morning of a gentleman ran a stop sign, uh, hit a tree and hit a fire hydrant drunk and was given the option to let someone take him home. That example you just gave is the best argument against giving police additional training and resources because these motherfuckers know what the fuck they're doing. They know who to provide discretionary support to and who not to. They know who not to jump on and tackle and beat the shit out of, and they know who they can do it to and get away with. Mm. And this has never been a secret. This has only been a secret to the masses of Americans. This ain't even been a secret to black folks. And it's definitely not been a secret to them. So giving them more resources and training is not going to assist them because they know what the fuck they're doing. So because we've got into a situation right now we know that 20, okay, I'll put it like this. The DOJ did an exhaustive study on 20 of the largest metropolitan cities in the United States. And they realized, they found that all 20 police precincts were not even employing basic minimum standards for policing and conduct. What that is, is a culture of criminality. What that represents is a culture of disrespect. What that represents is a culture of disregarding and dehumanizing this, the people they're charged to serve and protect. And the reason for that is because historically policing has meant that a police officer has to serve and protect property, number one, and white folks, number two. So if their number one goal is to protect and serve property and white folks, then they're still doing their job. No amount of training is going to get that and remove that stain which is why we need to start the process of defunding. There are a lot of committed individuals who've been doing way more evidence, way more uh, positive results in these communities than police officers have. Hell, there's a lot of single, lonely, white, uh, white women who follow murder podcasts that saw, that, that saw cold case murders faster than any detective officers do. There are a lot of, hell, I mean, you can get some black sisters right now they also have the murders in about 28 hours if you put them on a case because they know how to catch your man cheating with a, with, a, with a fake Instagram account. So guess what they'll be able to do if they got the same resources that a police department is going to have? And we keep throwing money at a problem that doesn't get better. That's why I'm telling you. I hear you 100%. And I'm not giving these fuckers more money. I, I, I hear you 100 Tell me what institution, tell me what institution continues to fuck up and you give them more money and they I, succeed. I agree with you 100%, right? But defunding the police doesn't mean eliminating them. So at some point, we're going to have a core set of police that we need to change the culture. How do we do that? Right, so, so Dez, I, I, I hear what you're saying. What, I'm saying. what I think what I'm saying is, I'm probably saying something in between you and Corey, is that we can defund and train. Like... You can take some of the money that they do have for tactical gear and put it towards culture, like any some type of training for culture or whatever it is that needs to be trained, need to be changed. But you can do that without no, the only, only training you need to do. The only training you need to do is change the rules so that if any officer is charged with a misconduct, the, the police officers union doesn't pay for it, nor do the taxpayers. And if the police officer is cited for misconduct, it comes from his pension. I promise you, the police misconduct changes overnight. Yeah. I get, I, it changes I overnight. If you tap their money, it changes overnight.
Yeah, because you, because at that point, right. nobody is willing to engage in further racism if it means that they take money, if they take food off of their children's mouths. They will not be willing to beat up another black kid if they know that food is going to be taken out of their kid's mouth to do it. I agree. Um, let me ask you, I, I hear what you're saying, Des. I'm going to ask you this. If we, we've seen over 400 cases of of black men being killed by uh, by the police, and I think two have been charged in the last 10 years. Um, how would you be so sure that they will be charged with a misdemeanor or a felony or misconduct? He didn't say, he didn't say that. He said they were cited for misconduct, meaning their own internal, a lot of times their own internal system cites them for misconduct, but the police union will back them and, and protect them. He's saying, yeah, what he's saying is, D- disallow the, uh, the the police union from funding their defenses uh, when they are cited for misconduct by the within their own department. So, say for instance, the bro- the, the guy in Minnesota, I think he had like fourteen different um, excessive force uh, situations. The guy here that shot uh, the guy that shot uh, Mr. Brother Brooks had like eleven uh, complaints and it was cited by his, by APD a number of different times. What Des is saying is when that does happen. Because a lot of times, like I said, 90, 90% of the time, their own department knows they're in the wrong, but they know they're, they're getting funded by the police union and things like that. So what he's saying is if you... Well, it's, hard, it's harder if you, to fire a bad cop. It's harder right. to fire a bad cop than to fire a bad teacher, bro. Man, this shit Everybody is... Yes. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if you, you, you let a teacher chokehold a kid, let a teacher chokehold a kid and see if those charges don't follow up instantly. Well, look, Yo, uh, wow. on, on top of all that, let me throw this at you. Garrett Roth, the officer who killed Rayshard Brooks, 2,000 hours of police training, including mm. attending courses in de-escalation tactics, cultural awareness, and the use of deadly force. Now, look, I'm uh, <laughs> like, I, you know, I've got um, a license to sell insurance, health insurance and life insurance. And when we're continuing education in order to continue our license, you don't need, I don't, what, what is it? 20, I think you need 24 like four hours. hours a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, it's 2000 hours of training in addition to you being on the job in practice. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> because here's, here's, here's what that is, right? The, the uh, analogy or metaphor, or whatever for that would be, if my kid continuously gets in trouble, right? I scold him, I talk to him for hours, you know, this and that, but I never truly punish them. Events, they're going to keep doing the same thing over again until, until they get, are so emboldened that they know, like... It's called the moral hazard. It's called the moral hazard. It's called the moral hazard. Exactly, exactly. And that's what's happening. And that's what I'm talking about with... with De- that's why I agree with this, like... Yes, let's keep the training going, Corey. But at the same time, there's got to be something else behind that. Like I can talk to my kid Take all day. Those if I, if I, if I, yeah, if I can talk yeah, to my I'm, kid all I'm, day, but if I don't ever follow it up with a, with a, with a spanking, the what, talking is they're eventually tuning all that up. I feel like both is is important. Um, although I feel like sensitivity training is uh, BS um, because we're all adults, right? We should know how to treat someone else and regardless of what they look like. And you know, you're right, it's a choice. And while we're on the topic of choices, not only should we be looking at how 
police are spending, like Jamal said, their existing budgets and how they're allocating existing budgets, not looking to get more money, but how can you be a better steward of the money you have? Let's also talk about the political economy and how the folks that are elected now, how they're making choices. And so this is part of the reason why Charles Booker is doing well and hopefully we you know, find out in the next day or so that he wins in his Kentucky primary. So um, I don't know how familiar y'all are with Charles Booker, but he's a diabetic and uh, he's been sharing the story about how he's had to ration his insulin because he couldn't afford it. Now, this is a relatively young brother uh, who looks pretty healthy. If you ever, if you ever see type, any pictures, is he type one. Uh, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. What I wanted to share, though, is something that he recently shared in an interview, and it was it was pretty direct. He said, po "Poverty is a policy choice, and it's not a partisan thing. So, for many of us, the only thing we have to look forward to is a lot of struggle, is a lot of heartache, and I've lived that struggle." And so when I'm thinking about what kind of choices are we making and what do we have to do in terms of voting as well as direct action, as well as pressuring and, and mobilizing, uh, you know, to be able to affect change with the folks that are in office, you know, that's what, that's what I think that we have to start looking at is what are the choices that we make every day based on what the budget is uh, not just in Congress, but locally and in our state. You know, what is it that we're putting forth as far as policy? What are the different things that's going around in the think tank economy? Because that's where a lot of this stuff between think tanks mm -hmm. and lobbyists, a lot of this stuff is shaped and pushed down our throat. And I think at some point we got to look at it and say, I mean, this is part of the reason why the French Revolution ended up in guillotines, <laughs> because people were like, look, man, we're just too pissed. We can't allow this. And they realized that the violence against them, uh, you know, could only be solved by literally getting rid of motherfuckers. And so people aren't that mad yet, just to be honest with you. They're just not that they're not that you're, pissed yet. You're 100 percent correct. And the, it, we, we are getting there. And. Like what I, what I was going to say next is about that same exact point, uh, Joshua, is that it is time for us to begin looking at the voting record of our local politicians in our districts. Right. And so I could not wait to find out which city council people voted um, to increase those budgets of APD um, and did not look to increase the budget of their own community. And I 100%. cannot wait. I cannot wait for, to meet with my city council person, who is Marcy Overstreet, um, to understand why I don't have sidewalks along Fairburn Road, and I see young brothers and mothers and kids walking alongside, you know, dodging death every day. Um, and I was told by her direct assistant that they were looking for money in the budget to, you know, trying to find money in the budget to do that. But then you can vote to increase a police budget um, in an area where we've had break-ins nonstop, and I ain't seen a single person caught yet. Hmm. Bro, has anybody had a, a single break-in called? Has anybody had their car broken into and seen that car case get resolved? Let, let me I, let, I, me, let my, me answer listen, that. I've had my house broken into twice. And I ever, and I never even heard back from the detective on my case. <laughs> As a follow up, I never, I've never received a follow up, and that was, they were about three years in between, and that was about four or five years ago. And I've, I've called a number of times and haven't even received a follow up. So, what increased funding will, will at least give me a follow up call to somebody breaking into my home? 
So, you know, I've also seen this. So I'm pretty active in my neighborhood here in East Point. And we have a long stretch of uh, pretty regular uh, car windows being smashed in and, you know, people leaving like, for whatever reason, a MacBook in their car and, you know, folks taking that. And so after months of kind of seeing a pretty regular rhythm of folks smashing windows and breaking in cars, there's a, a police officer chimes in on the group and says, hey, look, we've caught the guy. He's apparently responsible for hundreds of car break-ins and we got him and we're going to, you know, we're going to put him away and we, we've got enough evidence for it. And I'm like, okay, come on, man. This is, this is straight bullshit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing that was worse was that folks in the group were saying, yeah, he was, uh, I think he was 17 and they were talking about locking him up for 20 years. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, it's, it's that's it's one of ridiculous. our biggest problems right there. Yeah, because yeah, we, we so prison was supposed to be about rehabilitation, but really all anybody cares about is retribution. It's but a if we, piece. It, 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 exactly. But if we really look at it, right, what do you get from somebody doing 20 years for breaking in and stealing the MacBook that you shouldn't left in your car? Um, someone's uh, so, private prison getting rich. That's it. And I, I would also say two things. One, um, I'll push back on the comment that they shouldn't have left it in the car. I, I should be able to leave it anywhere, but but that's neither here nor there. In the society right. we live in now, true. That, that, that's fair. There, right? That's fair. That's um, fair. Those same people that will uh, want a 17-year-old get locked up are the same people that won't give that brother uh, $2 for a bottle of water when he's trying to do it the honest way. Mm. Right? right? On the, on, 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 at the intersection. On top of that, if we really wanted... I, I saw this quote when I was years ago, and I forgot who said it. They said if, if, if prison was really about rehabilitation, our prison system would look more like our university system than it does now. Mm. Ooh. Especially if, if we send them to Harvard, but not giving them a you Harvard what I'm degree. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They said if, our, if, our, if we were really about rehabilitation, our prison system would, more re, uh, would, more act, would be clo more closely reflective of our university system throughout the country. And it's not. It's completely op It's the complete opposite. We, we associate the penalty with the amount of, the more amount of years that somebody has to serve in jail. Like, there is no correlation between the amount of years somebody serves for, for an offense and either the restitution or the justice being served for that offense or of the rehabilitation of the offender. Uh, this goes back to what Des was talking about earlier. We're looking and we're telling everybody that voting is key. Voting is a part, and it actually might be one of the least significant parts. You have to vote to get somebody in office or to discontinue somebody else being in office. However, the thing that they care most about is staying in office. And so mm -hmm. if they have the feeling that, okay, the public is leaning one way or another, they're either gonna listen or they're not gonna listen. And most of them want to make sure that, I mean, rule number one of politics is, you know, if you're in office, you, you got to figure out how to stay in office. And on that note, final thoughts. I'm going to start with my final thought, which is voting. Yes, it's very important, but it's only the first step in the process. We have to show up to vote, but we also have to show up to the meetings where to discuss the budgets and the policies uh, for the schools and for the city and let our voices be heard. And we need to make sure that the ones that we do elect are doing the work of the people. Yes. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson said, when the citizens 
fear their government, there's tyranny. And when the government fears its citizens, there's liberty. We seriously need to return to a United States where we have liberty and justice for all. Brother Jamal. Yeah, I would just piggyback on uh, what you two brothers said. Um, get involved in your local politics. Hold your local politician accountable for everything that they do. Uh, attend every meeting, attend every town hall. They're, the, they're, they're the, the politicians you have the most access to. They're the politicians you can get on their calendar and get into their office. So hold them accountable. And if they don't want to um, adhere to the agenda that best benefits you and your district, get them out of there. Brother Jay. I think one action that we all need to consider running for office, and it doesn't mean you need to be a congressperson. It doesn't need, mean you need to run for United States Senate. There are several state offices that pop up from time to time, or they have some folks that basically shouldn't be where they are. And we could probably list them. Uh, I'm sure we could say the same thing about Metro Atlanta and any large metropolitan area where not only the prop, the city proper, but also in the suburbs, we need to look at each and every one of these things that folks are voting on, that folks are not listening to, they're not acting in the best interest of the community, and we need to primary them, or we need to just outright run in opposition. Uh, we need to look at our friends and folks that seem to have uh, the type of charisma paired with right knowledge and right thinking about who we are as a people and what we need to be doing in order to be better off, not just black folks, but all of Americans. I think that's something that a lot of times we miss just because especially on the uh, local in the state politics, most of these are not very rewarding financially. And uh, it's something that you may have to have another job while you're doing it. But if we really look at going back to having the most impact, not only is it that the voting that has the most impact on our daily lives, but who we're voting for. And, you know, it's at a certain point, we got to stop saying they are giving us certain candidates. We got to start looking at who are, who are the people around us and who are we supporting and who are we donating $5 to and $10 here and $25 there. And, you know, if basically it's still not up to snuff, who can we support? Even if, if that's ourselves, you know, raising our hand to say, Hey, look, I'm here, I'm ready. And I'm willing to fight for the people. What we're seeing uh, that what we saw in New York with Elliot Engel versus Jamal Bowman uh, was more like a local election than uh, we think. Because these are folks that, when it came down to it, uh, Jamal Bowman, Charles Booker, some of the other folks uh, going back to the AOCs and Ilhan Omars, uh, these folks are actually in the community. They understand the community. They know their community. And they're willing to fight for people. So I think that's something that we all should consider. This concludes week four of the Milk Duds podcast. We hope that you are enlightened and entertained. We ask that you follow us on Instagram at Milk Duds Podcast and subscribe to our podcast via your favorite streaming site. We were recently added to iHeartRadio as well as Apple Podcasts. And if you want, you can even Google us and listen via the browser. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your week. 